This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I am Matt Fonslow, and tonight we are graced with the presence of not only Brian Pollock of Wilco Auto Care, but also Jeff Barnes, who both of us are still trying to figure out who he is. I'm just kidding. Jeff Barnes is diagnostician, programmer, Swiss Army knife for L1 Diagnostics and Programming, correct, sir? Yes. That's as much as we know about him. Other than that, very mysterious. Well, before we get too deep into this, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Really, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, Jeff, this is your idea. This is my idea. Okay. So Brian and I were talking the other day, um, on messenger, um, and I, I got to noticing that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of information uh, being spewed on Facebook, um, and, and other platforms, I'm sure between shop owners and shop management companies. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's so much information. It's a lot to take in and it's not tailored to anything at all. Um, and so we deal with that on the automotive side, on the technician side, there's a lot of information that gets thrown around out there. Um, but it usually pertains to a certain vehicle and certain vehicles have, you know, you have a VIN number that, that is the, the guidebook of the vehicle that says this car is this year. It came with these options with this engine. This is what the wiring is going to be. This is what this solenoid does. This is how this vehicle works. And in, in order for us to give, uh, you know, correct information to people and help them, we usually ask, you know, Hey, by the way, what vehicle are you working on? Cause we're running the same problem. People don't say, but, um, I feel like with automotive shops, they're all different models and makes and years and locations and everything too. You, you take all that information in and it may not be for your shop. Exactly. Who's the authority anyways, like today. I was out at our one shop. Uh, they were into a 2017 power stroke oil hand job. Like just, you know, something that's so silly is how tight to torque the bolts for the upper oil pan. There's published information that is the standard information to go by, put out there by Ford Engineering, if you will, you know, who built that engine that tells you how tight to tighten those bolts. It's hard. How, how do we even compare that with? You know, how, how to run an automobile shop. How do you even know who's right? You know, there, there's only one answer for the torque spec, right? So what's published in foreign service symbols for that torque specification? There's a lot of people out there saying a lot of things. And how do they measure how right they are? I mean, some people measure it in revenue dollars, which I don't know. I guess, I mean, that's cool, except for some people do some pretty slimy things to get some revenue dollars. So morality comes into that, right? Is it ethical? Is it moral? It's not just liability. It's not just revenue dollars, rather. And you see a lot of people puffing their chest out. So you know, say, oh no, it's my way. Oh no, this way. Oh no, that way. That's usually done in numbers though, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, but how do you know, how do you even know who believe, right? There's no, there's no manual. We always talk about industry standards with the repair side, accepted procedures and practices. Is there even any industry standards for how to, how to celebrate shop, right? There's plenty of industry standards for how to perform one, right? There's, you know, there's, and there's a little misinformation here, a little misinformation there, but large story short, you can go into the service manual and you can get the standard procedure to perform that brake job. I don't think there's industry standard procedure to celebrate job. We don't necessarily talk in terms of like economics. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to take a baseline fundamentals, it's pretty rare to uh, hear about basic economic theory. You know, something that I've harped on for a while or brought up is most of 
most of us have no idea what kind of a service we're providing. You know what I mean? We, we might say like labor or parts labor or automotive service, something like that. But we really don't talk in terms of credence good. Right. Where we as the provider know better than the um, client or customers could possibly be expected to know. We better know the quality of service we're providing them or the value we're providing them. I, that's right out of the gate. Like that's as basic as it gets. And that's just not terminology we use. Yeah, certainly. And, yeah, I agree. I think the trickiest part is how do you separate information from the bad information, right? And I think that's a lot what Jeff and I have been talking about a little bit is you know, there's no there's no written standard throughout the industry for it. And I mean, it's, I think maybe it's preposterous to think that anybody can even get there and can hop on any shop owner or shop management. There's just, you know, a third of the people are doing it this way, a third of people are doing it that way, and a third the other third are still working in the day trying to figure out how to make the brakes work on the car. You know what I mean? Right. But after being on the road for the last six months and being in pretty much every shop that I can get a flyer into, um, I've, realize that you know different business practices can work even five miles away sure you may not agree with it but as long as their customers are taken care of and happy in their and they're doing their thing then why why would you take that and go look how successful they are you need to do the same thing and it's not like like with cars you have like you said you have set ways with things but i i feel like with Automotive shops, you need to pick, you need to choose before you go out searching for information, you need to choose what model and make your business is going to be sure. or, or that it is, you know, yeah. Hey, I am a, uh, I, I don't do heavy diagnostics. I, I tend to do a lot of maintenance. I do a lot of quick repairs. I do a lot of tires, you know, we're, we're almost, you know, kind of like the, the Firestone model or something like that. So you go on and you, you ask it advice from somebody about we have this car in here it's doing this this weird thing we've put all these parts on or whatever and they're they're trying to oh well you need to hire a diagnostician you know you need to do this you need to do that and yes okay i would i would say yes because i'm a diagnostician but i mean for that business model um it doesn't make any sense absolutely i've said that for years but shop owners knowing where to draw the lines is really difficult and they they usually get down a, a a really bad path and they can't get back and then they're asking online. There's just all this information being thrown about and it's a waste of time and energy because you're telling them you need this and in reality they need to stop what they're doing and do what they're good at. Yeah, that's a major problem because even I have told shops on oh, there you need to hire a diagnostician. You know, yes and no. After being in some very successful shops around me, maybe not, you know, maybe that's not, not their, they, but they've got, you know, like I said, they've got to learn where to draw the line at because you can just kill your customer base sure. real quick. The hiring the diagnostic guy is tricky, right? You, have you ever, so I've, I talked to a lot of people and I get to see a fair amount of things. Um, do you ever see what happens to a shop that hires a diet guy? Do you ever see what happens to a three or a four bay? shop that hires a diet guy. So what happens is, is this, the shop has got, let's say, let's say it's a three bay shop. They have three bays and they have two technicians in three bays, for example, right? Or the amount of bays doesn't matter. We'll just say a lower volume shop. And what happens is they don't, they've got some solid technicians. These guys do. You know, they can do alignments, they can hang front end parts, they can hang brakes, they can hang exhaust, super efficient, tune-ups, you name. Well, what happens is, is they get hung up on these cars. And guys get hung up, you know, guy blows, you know, on a, on a Chevy pickup truck, um, puts a, it's got an EVAP code. Um, just because it's got an EVAP code, he hooks a smoke machine up and he can't find a leak in the smoke machine. Or he hooks his knit machine up, he spends 15 minutes doing that, and he finds out it's throwing out the vent hole, right? It's up to that. 
the something she never needed hooked up to figure that out. And, um, you know, or as a vent solenoid, puts the thing in, it does the same thing because the wires broke six inches up to connect it because they don't know how to actually diagnose me. It's in the shop. So the shop owner or manager or foreman or whoever decides I need a diagnostic. And most decent diagnostic guys nowadays are really not interested in working quiet rate. So they pull this guy in there. He's working hourly. Well, this shop owner thinks he's got all sorts of dying work because every time they got to diagnose something, it's two and a half, three, four hours and multiple long parts are thrown at it. Well, this dude has four cars to do a day. It takes him 18 minutes a car. You know, he got a dying guy who's getting paid hourly. He was working two hours a day. And, you know, that's where the sour feelings start. It's no good for anybody. The diagnostic guy gets salty because he doesn't feel like doing mechanical work. He's there hourly, so the shop owner is making him do mechanical work. The shop owner's getting a little salty because the guy's not flat rate. So, I mean, he's not, you know, doing backflips across the shop when, you know, dueling impact guns, cranking hours out. And it's all because it's it's no good for anybody. It costs the shop owner a ton of money to bring him on to come do two hours of diagonal. Usually they end up parting ways and it's all because that shop decided not to stay in their lane at, at, at the end of the day. Um, it, it, it happens often. You really see it happen often. As soon as somebody's like, oh, yeah, I found the shop. They're looking for a die guy. And I'm like, how big is it? Like, oh, yeah, it's a little four bay on the corner. I'm like, unless they've got a diagnostic guy who is leaving to go somewhere else. Uh, this is like all new position. And it happens. It happens. It's nobody's fault per se. It's just the nature of the beast. Everybody thinks, oh, I need this. Come to find out, maybe they didn't spend a ton of time training at electrical diagnostic work and spend a ton of time, you know, doing drivability diagnostic training, sending guys out, whatever. And they think that there's just all this black magic that's happening out there and a a guy comes in, instead of using the codes as the park numbers, he just grabs his test light, hits a button on the scan tool, sees the test light lights up, and instead of putting random parts in, decides that he needs to just find the wire. It, it happens It happens quite often. And that's, I mean, that's a prime example. You know? And I, I've done the same thing, Joe. I've been like, oh, if you want to do diagnostics, you need to not have, you know, strut hangers. You need to probably get a diagnostic guy, but... I'm guilty. I don't ask the person, all right, how big's your shop and how many dogs are you in a week? The reality is, oh, unless you're getting into serious brain benders, a guy that's on location that doesn't have to drive anywhere can knock out four, five, six, seven, eight dogs a day, depending on what they are without too much issue. You know, there's, there's guys that are driving around that are stopping at big collision shops and doing four and five at one stop, you know, that are doing 13 cars a day sometimes. It's very hard to tell somebody what they need for their shop without in their shop. And I've been on the receiving end of that too. You know, well, what you do is this. And it's like, yeah, that's not here. Right. Diagnostic guy gets salty because he doesn't feel like doing mechanical work. He's there hourly. So the shop owner is making him do mechanical work. The shop owners get a little salty because the guy's not flat rate. So, I mean, he's not, you know, doing backflips across the shop when, you know, dueling impact guns, uh, cranking hours out. And it's all because it's, it's no good for anybody. It costs the shop owner a ton of money to bring him on to come do two hours a day. Um, usually they end up parting ways and it's all because that shop decided not to stay in their lane at, at, at the end of the day. Um, it, it, it happens often. You really see it happen often. As soon as somebody's like, oh, yeah, I found the shop. They're looking for a die guy. And I'm like, how big is it? Like, oh, yeah, it's a little four bay on the corner. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, unless, unless they've got a diagnostic guy who is leaving to go somewhere else. Uh, this is like all new position. Um, and, and it, and it happens. It happens. Um, you know, and it's, it's nobody's fault per se. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Everybody thinks, oh, I need this. And, uh, you know, it's come, come to find out, uh, maybe they didn't spend a ton of time training on electrical diagnostic work and spend a ton of time, um, you know, doing drivability diagnostic training, uh, sending guys out, whatever. 
and they think that there's just all this black magic that's happening out there. And a, a guy comes in, instead of using the codes as the parking numbers, he just grabs his test light, hits a button on the scan tool, and sees the test light lights up, and instead of putting random parts in, decides that he needs to just find a wire. Um, it, it happens, it happens quite often. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a prime example, you know, and I, I've done the same thing, Jeff. I've been like, oh, if you want to do diagnostics, you need to not have, you know, strut hangers. You need to probably get a diagnostic guy, but I'm guilty. I don't ask the person, all right, how big's your shop and how many diags are you in a week? The reality is, oh, unless you're getting into serious brain vendors, a guy that's on location that doesn't have to drive anywhere can knock out four, five, six, seven, eight diags a day, depending on what they are without too much issue. There's guys that are driving around that are stopping at big collision shops and doing four and five at one stop, uh, you know, that are doing 13 cars a day sometimes. It's very hard to tell somebody what they need for their shop without in their shop. And I've been on the receiving end of that too. It was this. And it's like, yeah, that's not here. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to own a shop is because I feel like being a tech is a lot easier not. Not so much as the stress level. I mean, obviously that that's a whole lot easier, but, um, I have service information to fall back on. Sure. For everything. Yeah. Proven testing methods. So it was involved. But if you own a shop and you had a problem, you're like, I've got this problem technician. What do I do? There's not like a manual you can go to and go, okay, well, your shop is a, I don't know, <laughs> transactional based. Uh, yeah, we've been there. I got this guy who was a problem. What do I do? Get rid of him. Can't. Uh, he's still doing four cars a day and, uh, they're not going anywhere, but, you know, get rid of them. Okay. Who do I put in there? Well, you're just going to have to find somebody. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm up here in no man's land and it snows half the year and nobody wants to live here. It's tax their eye. So with like coaching and stuff, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of, um, cheerleaders out there for coaches, you know, um, companies that they, that they support companies that they're part sure. of and they've done, they've been very successful with. But a lot of those companies are built on growing your shop to three to five shops, to seven shops, to 10 shops, you know, and that's how their platform works is to, to just continually grow. And, you know, some of these shop owners, they, they get in there and they start kind of do those things that grow your business. And it doesn't work because now they're spending a bunch of money on advertising. Now they're trying to get in the top, you know, top technicians in their shop when they don't really need all. Three, five, or seven shops. Three shops is a handful, I promise. Guys that want to try to grow to like 10 shops. Like, but that, that's a, you know, that's a specific business model, you know? Sure. And I, I feel like you have to almost reverse engineer um, what you want. You need to look at what do I want? And I know Matt's talked about this before, but what is success? You know, a, a lot of these yeah. guys get out there and they, they start throwing out numbers. Well, I got a guy at $150,000 a year. I got a guy at $200,000 a year. You know, I'm like, how many times a day does he smile? I'd like to know that because I can tell you right now, I, I don't make as much money as I did when I was a shop foreman, but I, I sure am a whole lot happier and that's worth a lot to me, you know? Yeah. I, I think cranking big numbers is, I just had this conversation this morning with somebody. Their argument was, well, and it, it's a guy, you know, we're, we're talking, we're referring to a, a shop that is very production-based, um, that is open seven days a week, but the guys still only work 40 hours. But they have a target production number that is, it's higher than 40, very production-based. And I go, you know, I said, uh, and one of the people in the chat wasn't a, uh, he was never a technician. He's a shop owner who's never really been a technician. He's been in and out of the shop. You'll never really spend a ton of time as a technician, which is, which is, which is no problem. He's a business owner. It's not his job to fix cars. But I was telling him, I said, you know, his, his argument was, well, that place, you know, they only got to go for 40 hours. I go, well, I go, I want to tell you something. I said, if you got a guy working a 40 hour schedule and got, you know, you're like, I need you to turn 65 hours a week. Right. And you, and you do your part, you have your front end tidied up so he can do that. And you have the part there on time, everything else. I said, you're still not doing the guy a favor. I said, he's throwing himself up during the week. He doesn't have that much left for his family on the weekends. And he's hurting his body as he does it. So, you know, okay, it's working good for him in his 20s, a little bit less in his 30s. And he certainly doesn't have time, you know, being exhausted from turning those 65 hours to take any college courses or anything like that after work. 
And then uh, in his 40s, uh, you know, he's spending half of his time getting uh, surgery consultations for different parts of his body. And the only skill set he's developed over the years, he can't even use to get himself to death. But you were doing him a favor, only making him work 40 clock hours. You know, it's, it's, and that there's a fundamental flaw in the whole production thing. And I, I don't know how to fix it. But there's, there's such a fundamental flaw in these shops that are like, oh, well, yeah, we need this many hours, you know, yeah, just start getting beat guys to death and then wonder why there's nobody left. Right. It's just a prime example of another. I mean, is there really a right way to wear a shop? Did you have to ask for that? Yeah. You're just talking about a different model. Yeah. If you find the right way and you write a book, you write service information on it, I will quit my job today and open a shop. Yeah. And I will run it because I'll just consult the manual. I go, <laughs> got to do this. I don't have the answers. I mean, our guys, our guys don't turn 60 hours. It doesn't happen in our shop. Our guys, some of our guys don't turn 40. I don't care. Some of our guys already drop, making money. Yeah. Yeah. Some of, you know, yeah. some of our guys drop alternators and break radiators, our jobs that we have to buy. Guess what? I don't care. I think I see in some of these groups, you have to be really careful. It'll really put a negative, um, spit out of your day and you read some of these things in these groups and at the end of the day you get into your shop and somebody breaks something and you're like i'm all right because i'm not one of them guys i'm not going to run straight to facebook and ask if i can make my technician pay for the alternator that was greasy accidentally dropped it and they hit the radiator like she meant to or something i think that some of these some of these forums will put an excessively bad taste in your mouth with some of these things we read about shop ownerships a lot of shop owners um, make it seem like loss and uh, mistakes never happen in any other business out there. Yeah. And like, do you realize like what businesses do? Like, I mean, I've seen a guy rolling a, a, a pallet jack through uh, Lowe's through where the appliances are and he turns and blows the front door, the glass front door out of an oven. Are they going to pull him aside and say, hey, you need to buy that? No, <laughs> they don't do that. They don't. Right. They don't say, hey, we're going to order the part and yeah. we're going to have you put it on. Do you need to clock out when you do that? Yeah, they know. That's that's the type of bad information that get, that's getting thrown out there. That, that's the type of stuff you're talking about that, that should be, um, we, we should have, uh, not regulation, but. Um, we're the Facebook information reader when that stuff goes on, Barry. <laughs> We're all the, we're all the people that were all over the COVID-19 <laughs> misinformation. And some guy starts talking about making his guy clock out. Yeah. <laughs> I need, I need that person. I don't know any business model where that would work. That, 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 that's just bad information. No matter what, like that's no business model that, that yeah. shouldn't fit in. I, I guess that's my point though. You know, back to how do you fact check? How do you fact check that information? For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa Autotech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. 
To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. How many shop owners do you know personally, or could you think of offhand, that have an accountant that they pay to do that job, you know, the not just payroll or maybe not just end of year taxes, but year round, an accountant that's inter- they interact with once a week, a couple times a month, and uh, go over P&Ls, stuff like that. Also have a, an insurance agent or two that they interact with regularly and an attorney on retainer. Where some of these questions we're talking about, you know, oh, my tech dropped an alternator on a radiator, broke the radiator, and then the alternator crashed to the floor and broke the alternator. Can I charge my employee for that? Or can I make them finish the repair off the clock? Where if they called the attorney, that would answer that question right off the bat legally. Well, and because that does matter. I mean, in certain states. Absolutely. And that's not to forget that even if it is legal, doesn't necessarily make it right. Values are what people are still in. I got that from somebody else. That's a lesson where I learned. Uh, morals and ethics are certainly questionable in that situation. Ethics, it's playing the long game. You know, is this a good tech? This is a good person. This is somebody I, I want in my business. Do I really want to punish them over this? You know, that would come into play. How does it look to the other techs, the other employees that are making this happen now? You know, is this a really good move long term? If it's legal, I guess you can do whatever you want. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that gets discussed oh, where 100%. in that state, it's wildly okay. illegal. Like you can't do that. Yeah. Oh, you've done that. That was, you're lucky to get away with it. How many times do we got to read about the 1099 employee on right? Like, at what point does everybody realize if you have a shop and your business is auto repair, yep. you cannot 1099 somebody to work in your shop and do auto repair. Like, that's not, that's not how this works. No, that still happens around here a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. And it still happens. And how many of those people do you think know they're in violation? Or how many of them do you think, oh, well, so-and-so told me I can do that. I heard from this guy that owned Brand X that I can't do this, actually. There's a loophole. Okay, where's the loophole? Oh, I, I don't know. There's so much misinformation out there. Right. On top of, so so there's so much misinformation that's borderline malice, right? Misinformation is so bad, it's borderline malice. And then there's a ton of misinformation where it's, it's not malice. People are literally trying to help each other out but they don't understand issue X or whatever. And then you have misinformation where you don't know enough about that person's operation to answer the question. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation that's not malice. It's not, in, it, and it, it's not that people are on. It's, you know, whatever information they're giving might work great in this shop. They might have a super successful shop, depending on how, you know, man, how you measure. they might have a shop that does a ton of revenue dollars. Like, oh, we'll only do this thing a certain way. And then you find out that, you know, the, the dealer up the road does the same thing for half the price and whatever. Well, it's back to the diagnostic tech conversation where, you know, should I should I be hiring a diagnostician? Sometimes the advice is like, yeah, you really should. You know, they'll change your business. They don't go into details on like, okay, but you're going to have to have some patience. You're going to have to build. This guy's going to spend this. a lot of time staring at a computer screen, and you're about to spend a whole buttload of money on tools. You think this guy payrolls a lot? Strap in, buddy. You're going to have to advertise to go after the uh, the work because if you hadn't, if you didn't have that diagnostician for let's say 15 years of business, it's not just going to show up overnight. People are not going to know that that's where to bring their car. You've sent them to the dealership for the last 15 years. You've sent them down the road to, you know, Jim Bob down there who can get it done yeah. for the last 15 years. And now you're like, Hey, we've got a, we've got a diagnostician guy here. Yeah. It's going to take a while to do a bunch of advertising, a bunch of word of mouth. I mean, and then even if you do all that and you get the cars there and everything else and everything's going great, you are never going to have a time ever again where you don't a car there that's making 
question why you exist on this planet Earth. Right? You're always going to have... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or two or three. You're always going to have a car that's like, you know what? I think that maybe we should just sell this whole thing and mow grass next summer. It's always going to have a car. Really. Am I hiring... And I'm, am I bringing in, am I hiring a Brian Pollock or a Jeff Barnes who, you know, if I get some equipment, can kind of hit the ground running as long as the cars are there, right? Okay, so the proven skill sets that if I can get the cars to them, they're going to get efficiently and properly diagnosed. Or am I, am I hiring or um, uh, promoting, if you will, a younger, we'll just say a younger tech, but somebody that's showing signs and definitely has a lot of interest, but they're still going to have to grow into and evolve into this. And then what's the market look like? Is there a, is there a mobile diagnostic yeah. company that does really good work? You know, now I'm competing and can I compete? What town are you in? I'm near Niagara Falls, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. Keith and I were talking about opening up up there. So, oh Yeah. We get a lot of flat tires up here, Jeff, it turns out. There, it, yeah. It's called L negative it's one. It's L negative one. <laughs> You're going to have to call the customers, Keith. The van was frozen <laughs> to the ground this morning. <laughs> I think he would probably actually make us bring all the tools in at night if that were the case. And some angry fat man was throwing pizza at me in the parking lot. Some guy was throwing his bonus at me. And then, like Jeff says, though, if, you know, they're, they're hiring a Brian Pollock, they're hiring a Jeff Barnes. And they're going to, they have the patience, you know, they got money saved up to do this gambling and they're going to go out. There really isn't a mobile company or if there is, they, they can't keep up with all the work anyways. Now I have to go and I have to market this. I got, I got to go to the, my competitors and, and market that, Hey, we could be a solution for you. We could help you out. I got this guy. We got this equipment. We can handle some programming. We can handle some diagnostics for you. Uh, you know, we'll work out a deal, whatever that means, uh, to win that business. And it's not just like hire the diagnostic guy and then, you know, in three months, we're just going to be killing it. You got to go get it. Yeah. That brings up another thing is with advertising, I see a lot of people blurting out how they're going to advertise. I see a lot of people, sure. come, a, lot of, a lot of shop holders go, hey, What's good at advertising? Not just to find a tech. I see a lot of that. That's a that's a losing battle there. But how how do I how do I advertise? You know, and they're saying, "Oh, we'll use Facebook." Okay, yes, if you're in a big city in a metropolitan area. But if you're not, and you know, you're in an area, you're in an industrial area. Yeah, half of my customers have flip phones, right? I mean, by far the best is your business card on one of those cork boards at the gas station and in the greasy spoon. All the restaurants. Baby. The restaurant. You need your name like yeah, underneath right. the acrylic uh, clear coat on top of the, the dyer table. Yeah. I have the cold cracks for advertising out in the sticks. But, but I can't help people that are out in the city. First thing you got to do is you got to be able to fix the car. Then everybody tells their friends who can't get the cars fixed that they got a guy who fixes the cars. And um, then you just got to, you just got to stroke the check to a guy with a dirt track race car once a year. And he sticks a big old Wilco sticker on the side of that sucker. Uh, he was just at our Christmas party. I actually called him our marketing manager. That's who I told, told my wife, I oh, this is, this is Dave. He's our marketing manager. She's like, I've never heard about it. He drives the race car. But yeah, there's exactly that. Isn't that funny? That's awesome. Do you know, do you know how many advertising you know, how, how many advertising dollars, which I mean, they're paying me to do it, but do you know how many actual advertisements we've done in Oklahoma City? Zero. Because they wouldn't work. Zero. Yeah. We don't, we don't advertise. We have, we have no marketing budget. I mean, we, we sponsor a race car. That's, but there, I'm telling you right now, there, there's shops in Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City is bigger than you think. I mean, it's pretty good size now. Um, they got to spend $10,000 a month to get their phone to ring. That, and that's not an underestimate. That's, that's probably about right. Yeah. Just because there's just so much and you've got to be targeted, you know, and I, I see a lot of 
there's a lot of use this person, use this company. And then like six months later, the same person is like, all right, I've been using this guy $1,200 a month and people are in Tennessee or get my ads. Our phone rings all the time with people trying to give us money. Ours rings all the time with more freaking cars. Every day. Can't, you can't, uh, we have one of those rears at our, at our sandboard shop. We have one of those rears on the wall of the shop. And like on Monday morning, or I'm just not feeling it, I almost tore it off long. Wait, does it, when someone pulls into the drive, does it ding? No, no, just when the phone rings. Would you believe that not three miles from me, in the smaller town next to me, there is still a shop that has the bell and they still do self-serve gas and they still have the old grease pump hanging on the ceiling with the hoses, you know? We have a grease pump from where I want you We have a grease pump. <laughs> but That's awesome. Now, this shop here, though, I was warned before I even started working for Keith um, that if you ever go in there, you don't uh, kneel down uh, or touch the floor because they've been dipping and spitting on the floor for the last 60 years in this shop. Well, it matches the, the, it the bell ringer, minty. you know, so someone pulls in. That's amazing. <laughs> it, it, there's, it's, there's everything out here, man. Everything. Oh, Shows, man. So like you have, there's one market right there where three different uh, advertising campaigns could possibly not work for three different shops, but could work for another three shops. That's a prime example because the market is so diverse. Yep. There's shops that swear by mail, the, by postcards. We still have uh, a fax machine. That, that would not work. It hasn't worked. I mean, people don't even look at it before they use it to light the campfire. I, mean, I know, but, you know, they do. I mean, it, 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 I see it all the time. People walk into these shops. I'm there. That's the thing. I, I am out of my... Uh, uh, my comfort zone, you know, now I'm, I'm everywhere now. And I see people walk down with the flyer in their hand. I need to get this done. I'm like, holy crap. Let's, let's get money on that. You know, like. One of our shops is in a small city. And I mean, that, that's a prime example. What works at that shop does not work at our shop out in the sticks. And mo- mostly vice versa. Wait. Can't. No. There's, there's just certain things that have to be done certain ways when you're. Uh, working in the shop in the city as far as dealing with customers like um, our shop that's closer to Niagara Falls um, is in a more rural area and I mean there's there's people who rear cars there that don't need a home like um, I, had a, I had a Duramax the other day and um, it was a limp mower or whatever I didn't you know and he dropped it off I didn't need a phone call for a little bit more diagnostic time I needed I didn't need a phone call to order the Knox tube sensor and install it. You know, that would not fly. That's our shop in the city. If you're going to go spend a thousand dollars on somebody, like there's got to be a phone call. Um, and that's a prime example. I hear that all the time. People, uh, that's something that was until I spent more time at our shop in the city. That was a bizarre concept to me. I was always like, well, they're dropping the car off. They weren't fixed, right? You know, and that's, that's just, that was the clientele. These, and, and I'm going to put this in perspective here. These shops with, with me driving, I can get from one to another. These shops that have a totally different clientele, 14 minutes. I can get from one to the other in about 14 minutes. If I'm, if I'm really on the loud pedal, not afraid. Two completely different clientels, two completely different sets of vehicles gear ranges and types of vehicles. It's just a whole different volume. To think that we think that we can tell somebody across the country what they need for their shop to make it work right. It's just, you know, it's just mind blowing. You know that you and I, and I don't know about Matt, you and I have been guilty of trying, trying to tell people stuff. I'm the number one offender. Yeah. I do a lot of prefacing though. I think, um, Quite a few asks, like how how a shop in a town of twenty thousand can have so many different factory scan tools, so many scan tools, ADOS calibration center, all of that. And I don't think it has so much to do with the town is twenty thousand people. I think it has a lot to do with we're an hour south of a metropolitan area, and we're an hour north 
of a metropolitan area. So now the town's just big enough with with, with some surrounding. That describes towns our that Sanborn shop. Quite a bit smaller, but still the, the three dealerships, GM Ford Chrysler, that's it. And the other shops really aren't interested in getting into that. They have no interest. That all leads to have being able to have a full-time diagnostician investment in equipment that might be unrealistic in other areas. You know, on top of just scandals like the EPROM stuff, like that adds up. Key cutting machines and that's the thing is that my uh, the last shop I was at, my boss was eyeballing key machines because we were having to drive two miles down to the locksmith you know i'm like no no it will not work you will not make any money on it you have to be mobile to make a lot of money on that or you have to be out where there's not dealerships we're five miles from all the dealerships don't and the dealerships have got rid of so for years when there was nobody in the mobile dealerships were always like oh it was the keys the key is this much and 200 to program it right um to do whatever they had to do and now that there's 800 million mobile locksmiths in the game, all of a sudden the dealership's like, oh yeah, the parts guy goes out and puts the key program at the time or whatever. So that game's definitely changed. I've seen that a ton too. I've I've seen that part of it change. What you can charge for certain things has changed. I've really been catching myself lately where it's like, oh, what kind of shop this person runs? And then there's this huge misconception, especially, honestly, in the diagnostic if a car tries to, you know, or if a shop doesn't have a die guy, all of a sudden they're a bad shop. That's that's not necessarily true, right? In some cases, they're the smartest ones. They're not necessarily a bad shop. I think what happens is as technology continues to move forward, I think they end up finding themselves in sticky situations more often than ever before. Um. I certainly know we have more cars referred to us every year from shops than we did the year before, you know, to be like, you get one a month or something like that. Now it's like, we have like four on the lot on the same day. I think it was like last Thursday, we had four different cars in four different shops. I think it happens a lot more now than it used. I think some of them are getting smart. I think some of these shops are to the point where, you know, they got their face beaded on a couple of these things, didn't make any money on it, swallowed their pride, and they're like, okay, and they have a sudden out. But yeah, the idea that a shop's a bad shop because they don't employ a diagnostic guy is, you know, it's not, I don't think that makes them a bad shop. I know that if I only had three bays and I had to make a living for me and two other technicians, wouldn't go hire a diagnostic guy. So that's just the reality. I, I feel like the the point of turning customers away, um, I, I don't know if that's being coached by a lot of companies. I don't know if that's being, you know, a, lot, a lot of shops that are asking for help are asking for help because they've, they, they needed help five years ago and they're finally just, they're about to fold and they're like, all right, I need help. And someone's like, okay, well, you know, how many cars did you turn away? And they're like, uh, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, you need to do that. You need to get the equipment. You need to be doing, you know, offering everything. You need to handle everything, you know, or it's like that. Even we don't handle everything, you know, we're, we're supposed to be the guys that save the day. And sometimes we're like, no, this isn't us, you know? Right. right. Um, and so I feel like the coaching companies are, are, peddling the idea that we have the expert on this and I've heard it. I've heard it all here and I, I probably know who the coaching company is, but they'll say, well, we have a so-and-so expert. I'm like, no, it's none of us are experts. Okay. <laughs> we just, we read service information or we, you know, have somebody we can ask, but so I, I feel like that is, is a major misstep that's being taken when, when talking to these shops, uh, because if your demographic is Euro cars and you're not working on Euro cars and someone is telling you 
over the internet like me, because it would be me because I hate Euro cars. I'd be the one going, yeah, dog, you don't need more really Euro cars. It's a waste of time. It's a bunch <laughs> of energy. It's a they're in the ass, you know, when in reality, that's their demographic. They need those cars. That's what they need to be working on. Kick the Chevy to the curb, the BMW in, you know, and it's so hard to know. Step A, drain water. <laughs> Step B. Yeah, they're, they're huge money makers. They're huge money makers. I, I know what you mean. That's a great example. Uh, you know, just like you said, just tell somebody to kick the Euro cards to the curb. It's like, well, are they, have we even asked what they're trying to specialize? Do we know what they have the tooling and equipment for, right? Um, you know, what, what a shop has tooling for at the moment, because, you know, if the shop's in trouble, like you said, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. A lot of these shops are asking for help, needed help five years and have their stuff. They didn't have stuff working that great five years ago, but they've been riding the booming economy, right? Um, the whole, the pandemic thing really didn't shoot as many shops down as, as everybody would say. They've been riding a booming economy, arguably, since 2012, 2013-ish. Um, they've been riding a booming economy. And now they need help. And it's so easy for us to go, I just did it today. I used to say, guys, like, all right, we work on European vehicles. We have this scan tool. It's worn out. What what do I go get, right? And he's asking about a certain Chinese brand scan tool. And I'm like, okay, if you're working on BMW, Benz, and VW, why don't you just do the OETs? Like, if that's all you're servicing, like, if that's all I exactly. wanted yep. to do, yep. why don't you exactly? Say? Well, that's easy for me to say. We have the money in the account to stroke the check for all those tools. We don't know if the shop has the money in the account. This shop, if you don't, I mean, sorry, if you don't have $35,000, you can't go get his entry. That's right. Right. It's easy for us to say, dude, if you're going to work on a ton of Mercedes Benz, you're in here asking what scams will get. This is dumb, man. Go buy his entry. Right. And these people are trying to feed their family. Their shop's already in trouble, which is why they're like, they're asking what scan tool to buy. It's obvious that they're behind. If you're specializing in three brands and equally, you should know what you need to service. Um, yeah, it's so easy for us in our in our certain positions. And I'm not like I'm not like trying to brag. Believe me, there's multi shop operations that have label. Right, I promise you, one of them is slow. But it's it's so easy. For us to just say something like that, just like, okay, well, get, get the credit card out and fall Germany, get the Zentry, you'll have it in six to eight weeks if you're lucky. And, um, yeah, that's all there is to it. That's not reality for a lot of shops, right? There's a lot of shops that need to work on these vehicles and they can't necessarily get that tool or it's the budget or they have to. They need something to get a buy so they can go make some money to go get the rank. And we are, and we are so fast right, to shoot exactly. down any shop that's trying to do anything but just go get the right tool. Um, I think that's just a poor example because I work at Mercedes Benz. I don't have, but I also know my limitations. I know what I can, right? I know what I'm in over my head. I work on a ton of power strokes and a ton of Duramaxes. Guess what I have? But if you didn't have the money to get that just yet, you'd have to get something to yep. get you by. Yep. Yep. And here we are. And we've already, and we've all done that, right? So that you When I started for Riverside, I had more scan tools than Riverside had. I'm very stupid with the money. Neither am I. Yeah. It's not so much the acquiring, it's the retention. That's an issue. We have that problem at the shop with snowmobiles. Um, we'll buy a lot of snowmobiles, but we have 22 that don't get rid of any. I was just in our fleet shop today and there was three hiding over there in the front room that I did. Any Massey Ferguson's or so so what so what do you think about all the numbers getting thrown around? Because I see a lot of numbers out there and it's with text too. You know, texts are like, Well, you gotta be making, you know, hundred grand a year, you know. Hey, right here, never made a hundred thousand dollars a year. I've been close, never made it. Doesn't matter, you know. And so a lot of, seriously, like when I go to these shops around here, their number is, they're like, hey, you know, are they taking care of you where you're at? I'm like, no, 
more than you can imagine. But go go on, you know, they're like, well, we're not a diagnostician. I'm like, look around. I'm like, no, you need me here three times a week right now. No, that's it. You know, you need me three, you need me three times a week. You're going to pay me. Okay. And they're, they're throwing out these numbers, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, I'm like. That goes back to what I just talked about. Guy get himself in a situation where he's going to pay a hundred grand a year to do three cards a week. Essentially. Essentially. Yes. And it's not just that though, too. They're, they've all got these made up numbers in their head. Well, you have to be at, you have to be doing, you know, 30,000 bars a week. You got to hit this certain gross profit, net profit, all this stuff, you know. And if it were me, the way I would run it is at the end of the year, I look at my bank account and go, I got $200,000 in the account. Is that what I was after? Yes. Or I could be one of those who crunches the numbers down because the, the coaching companies and all the other shop owners are playing numbers. You just described how we operate our shop, by the way. Because then at the end of the year, you're like, hey, I netted 20%. Your net of 20% is only $35,000. I'd rather make the 200000 Sorry. What we do, uh, this is- Even if it was only 10%. The easiest way to manage the financials of your business is uh, to just uh, make appointments for the cars and look at the cars and see what is broken. And then um, add your parts to your labor and price that out and do those jobs. And that's how we manage as the financial business, um, which is a piss poor way to do it. And here we are, we started the floor of a barn. No, there's three shops and a bunch of people. Are you charging for Diag though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. There's a, there's a cover charge. Yeah. If it says, Hey, if they say, can you look at, but, but, but that's soon as they need something looked at that requires expertise. Somebody's like, my brakes are grinding and I have a rattling underneath. Like, I'm not going to hit them 0.5 to tell me exhaust shields. I'm going to do that in my inspection. You know, do you feel like the numbers should just be a measurement and not necessarily a goal? Because to me, I feel like shops are chasing. Because cars are only broke the way they are. The Mrs. Jones 2014 Chevy Trax doesn't care about what my ARO needs to be. Mrs. Jones' Chevy Trax is broken the way her Chevy Trax is broken. And I'm sorry, that doesn't go over well with business people. They're like, oh, this isn't fixing cars. This is a business. Well, Mrs. Jones doesn't give a fly F about my business. She wants her check engine light off on her Chevy Trax. And if it only takes a bird valve to do it, sorry about Goodyear eyes and the oil cooler's not leaking. All Mrs. Jones is getting is a bird valve. That right there is what is keeping you guys so busy and keep going is, is you're willing to make the lower sell that time around in order to get them back in when it's really broke. My idea of success in automotive is staying in business and being very comfortable with how I've treated my customer. I'm willing to make whatever sale that car requires. It's, it's not about how many hours per arrow I need. It's not about how many dollars per arrow I need. These are the issues with the car. I prioritize the issues and that's, and that's what we do. It's not about, I got to move this number around. So this job makes sense on the parts to labor ratio, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, and I can't stress enough. I'm not throwing shade at guys who do that. That's how you want to run your business. You know, if you deem that an acceptable business practice, right? Your job as a business manager is to do that. That's great. I'm a car guy. I'm there to solve that person's problem. I'm there to make sure their car is safe. Right. I'm still going to check over every car that comes in the shop. This is Joel Chevy Trax and their purge valve. I diagnosed their purge valve from the driver's seat, right? I didn't hook a scope up to a purge valve, which seems to get popular on Chevy Trax on the area for some reason. But anyways, I diagnosed it in three minutes on the driver's seat, right? I'm going to charge her the full hour labor, even though I diagnosed it in three minutes because that's my diagnostic feed. Guess I've been around the block. Take that's how long it takes me to diagnose GM. Still charging my full inspection charge. And I'm not just throwing a courage valve on it and going out. I'm putting it in the air. I'm checking the tire rod ends. I'm checking the car, right? She needs to not have the wheel fall off after she leaves my shop. And if nothing else is broke, guess what? She gets a purge valve. And not only does she get a purge valve, I'll tell her that, hey, man. 
your tracks has PZEV emissions. And here in New York State, you can go to a dealership till uh, your 14 tracks. You can go to the dealership till 2029 or 150,000 miles. And you can get this bail for free if you want. This is how much I have charged to install the bail. What do you want it? 99.9% of the time they have us installed bail. Life's good. Off that car goes. When we talk about doing ethical and moral things, it's, it's pretty much being honest with our customer and our needs, right? Having a target number. Does having a target number put you in position where you get a lot of cars in a row that do a lot of things? Are you getting pressure all of a sudden to do things that are maybe stretching the chimps about needs? Who makes those target numbers? See, and that's, that's what I'm seeing a lot of is there's these the mythical numbers thrown out. You have to make this much on parts. You have to make this much on your, your net profit, gross profit, your labor profit, all this stuff. And they've got eye charts and they got all this stuff. Right. And so they're, they're chasing that. And in the quest for that, they're going, well, I got to make 68% of my parts. So instead of putting the factory part on there, I'm going to put the off brand cheap, maybe something they ordered online that comes in a, a, a truck from a big company, right? That, that might not even be a legitimate part. And so they're chasing that and they're chasing the labor numbers to where they can't hire a tech because, well, I'm only, I can only pay up to 30%. Yeah. I had somebody told me that recently about one of our shops. They said, oh, your, your payroll to GP dollars is way off. Okay. Well, guess what? Everybody's happy. Right. I mean, there literally are, there's shops out there who are missing out on hiring a good tech because they're chasing a false number of you have to be at 30%. And that tech is asking for, say, 34%. And instead of hiring that tech and having him there to make the money, they won't because, well, that doesn't fit into this pie chart. I can only pay you up to this much. So now you make less. I think it's looking at numbers, but not necessarily understanding what they really are. Because I, I think Jeff said something that's really important. Uh, are Certain numbers are for measurement. That's what they are. You're measuring something. They're not necessarily the goal. And I think sometimes we get benchmark numbers thrown out for numbers that are normally used as part of an analyzing your business. We change it into a benchmark. So now it's a goal. You have however many techs that can work on three cars a day and they can bill three hours per car. That's nine hours a day. And that's where it starts, right? It could, almost cookie cutter. A lot of shops can't operate that way. Our shop can't operate that way. We absolutely have goals. We have profit goals for the year, meaning we want to make money. We want to be able to pay all our bills, pay everybody, and then have money left over to, do we need to buy a new tire machine? There's goals. Everything we do is try to long-term achieve those goals, not hyper-focus on any one number, like our, our parts margins get moved around because we have to take the temperature of the clients and our labor rate moves around to, you know, we went up earlier in the year because of inflation, you know, we had to. So stuff like that, I can't say like we're shooting for a specific average repair order number. Eventually kind of starts to work its way to whatever numbers it needs to be. But that's only because we're shooting for this end of the year goal of enough. Typically we overshoot it. That's what our goal is, is this amount of money essentially for the owner to get a return on investment, right? Could he have taken the money and just stuck it in a savings account and made more money? Why have the shop? If he could have stuck it in a money market and made more money, why have the shop? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. It's hard to tell people what to do, especially you know, so-and-so shop, they do a lot of maybe tires and steering and suspension and stuff like that. They can be more high volume. They don't need the margins. Another shop that's maybe not as high volume, more specialized, maybe takes on a lot bigger, tougher work. So their margins go up, but their car counts are lower. This is left field. I'm sorry, but it makes me think of Bruce Lee. I know, I know it's left field, but if you, if you knew about Bruce Lee a, a little bit, that 
um, he wrote a book called Jeet Kundo, right? And Bruce Lee trained in a lot of different martial arts. Martial arts. He grew up learning one style, if it matters, is Wing Chun. Thought that was really good. But then he starts learning from other people, different ways of doing things. And, you know, of course, Chuck Norris and then uh, Gene LaBelle. And just the, the list would go on and on and on. And he's picking up these little things. And he gets to the point where he writes this book. And essentially all it is is take what works and keep it. Do away with the stuff that doesn't work. And where it gets interesting is what works for Bruce Lee won't work for me. He's very athletic. He can do the splits, right? He can kick really high. That would not work for me. I couldn't do what he does. But maybe because of, you know, my size of being around six feet tall and my weight, there's certain things I could do that he wouldn't work so good for him because he's smaller stature and whatever. And that's what I guess I think of a little bit with shops is, uh, or businesses in general is you, you kind of take it all in and think about it and maybe try some stuff and you watch the results and you tweak it a little bit. And there's certain things that will work like gangbusters. And then there's other stuff won't work. And what, what works for your shop may not work for another shop. Why it works for yours, you may not even be able to explain it, but it works. And then something else that works like gangbusters for whatever, so-and-so, another shop owner, another business coach or whatever, you try it. And, and in good faith, try it. It doesn't work. And nobody might be able to explain why. It just doesn't. Well, why keep doing it? Because it works for them. Move away. Find something that does work. That's, that's what pops into my head. I talk to guys that uh, do... Uh, Chevy Traverse timing chain jobs because, you know, it's 40 minute faster, right? That's great that it works for them, but I've eaten way too much pizza to go through that BS. I'm pulling the cradle bolts, jacking it up off there, and that's how I'm going to do that job. Like, oh, it's it's faster this way. And it's like, you know, what if I can't walk tomorrow, buddy? That's a great point. Yeah. Some of the stuff that works for a certain shop and you and I, we all know shops that do things a certain way. And, you know, you always look at how they, and I really wish I could do it that way, or I would, I could do this or that or the other thing, you know, but you're like, oh, I don't have the market for it. I don't have the people for it. Where I'm at in our business, I, I, I feel like the number one thing that I'm just focusing on, I, I really, I honestly believe that we have, we have a crew and we have a lot of young people. A lot of guys in which ones, a lot. We have some guys that are even 20 out of us. A lot of guys in the early 20s. That being said, I really feel like uh, the best crew of people we've had in a very long time. And like my focus is ARO, my focus is not this. My, my focus is 100%. How do I retain these people that I have? Because it's like, you know, okay, little stupid mistakes are happening. Like, you guys are pretty reliable. I know what I can do. How do I retain these people and how do I grow them? If there's one thing in the industry that would work for every shop, might be that mentality. If I have good people right now, how do I retain them? How do I grow them? I think that people would be surprised at how young some of these guys are. I got a guy that's 18 years old. So I said, yeah, I get the welder over here. We're going to have to do some work on this subframe. Um, there's a car with some crash damage. And I just told him to get the welder over there like 25 minutes later. He had the thing heated up, pulled, and welded back up. Freaking 18 years old. I'm 100% focused on retaining them and training them. If there is anything that will work every shop across the country, it's retaining good people and training. And I think everything else is hardwashed. I thought there was a lot of good stuff we covered. So, yeah, I, I hope we could do a part two and maybe not push it off too far in the future. We can get back together and add to this. There is one thing that I, that I hold steadfast to is that uh, all, not just tacticians, all employees should be paid for their time when they're at work. 
Well, I drove, I drove an hour and a half to, uh, Tulsa yesterday to have Outback steak, turned around and drove all the way back and I got paid the whole time. So we had Mampa, Mampa bought our lunch today. We have the best day of a salesman. He'll probably listen. He's fantastic. He's here for Jasper. Super fortunate for that. And that's, you know, that's another spot where I tell people the best day of a salesman. All right. Well, thank you gentlemen for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you got something out of this and eagerly await part two with Brian Pollock and Jeff Barnes. Thank you guys again, and thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring, and thank you to Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible, and until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.